Welcome to our worship today from St Peter and St Paul's Seal. Our thanks today go to Jessica Hebe for our reading and to the choristers of St Martin in the Fields for our two hymns, Lights Abode, Celestial Salem and Sing of the Lord's Goodness. Grace, mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. As we begin our worship, let's think of the week that is past and all that's happened in it. There will have been times when we've done wrong or fallen short because we're human. So we ask for God's forgiveness in the joyful knowledge that nothing can destroy his love for us. God so loved the world 
that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven and to bring us to eternal life. We say together, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and keep you in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. God, who in generous mercy sent the Holy Spirit upon your church in the burning fire of your love, grant that your people may be fervent in the fellowship of the gospel, that always abiding in you they may be found steadfast in faith and active in service, through Jesus Christ your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I'm reading from Jonah chapter 3, starting at verse 10 and going through to the end of chapter 4. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city, and sat down east of the city, and made a booth for himself there, he sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You're concerned about the bush, for which you did not labour, and which you did not grow, it came into being in a night, and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than a 120,000 persons 
who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Our psalm today is Psalm 145, verses 1 to 8. I will exalt you, O God, my King, and bless your name for ever and ever. Every day will I bless you and praise your name for ever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. There is no end to his greatness. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your power. I will ponder the glorious splendour of your majesty and all your marvellous works. They shall speak of the might of your wondrous acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall publish the remembrance of your great goodness. They shall sing of your righteous deeds. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great kindness. The Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 20, beginning at the first verse. Jesus said to his disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the labourers and give them their pay beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last, the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious, because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's not fair. I wonder how often we've heard or said those words. Children are especially keen on fairness, in my experience. They'll squabble over almost anything. He's got a bigger slice of cake than me. She always gets to press the button at the zebra crossing. But to be honest, adults can be just as sensitive and just as unreasonable, especially if we're feeling a bit insecure for some reason. I've noticed the language of it's not fair quite a bit during this coronavirus epidemic. Why is someone else's favourite activity permitted but mine isn't? 
Why are we in lockdown when the people in the next postcode aren't? Why a rule of six, not seven or eight, or some other random number that suits my family situation better? In our heads, we may understand that it's not personal, these are public health decisions, but it doesn't feel like that in our hearts. We feel like we're being punished, or that someone's making a value judgment about us, that we don't matter as much as the next person. It's not fair. Of course, there are legitimate questions to be asked about government decisions. Balancing all the risks is a very imprecise art. But if we start feeling personally targeted, crying out, it's not fair, in anxious anger, it's usually a sign that at least some of the problem is within us, not the fault of those we're angry with. It's the same cry we hear in today's Gospel story, a story that's puzzled and infuriated people ever since Jesus told it. We can surely sympathise with those workers in the vineyard who'd slaved all day in the heat of the sun, only to find that the people who'd worked for just an hour got paid the same as they did. It's not fair, cry the first set of workers. Of course they do. And yet Jesus' story challenges us to look at the situation from a radically different angle. Those who've worked all day aren't getting any less than they were promised. Logically, it shouldn't be any skin off their noses that the other workers get the same. But it doesn't feel like that. They take this as a slight on them, a devaluing not only of their labours, but of themselves. It's no accident that we use words that come from the world of finance, like worth and value, to measure our personal standing in the pecking order of the world. We talk about our sense of self-worth, we value those who are dear to us. They are treasured, like gold and silver and precious jewels. The language of money is often used as a shorthand for how much we think people matter. This parable forces us to confront that assumption. What would the world be like, it asks, if we didn't think like this? Ironically, the key to understanding Jesus' story lies in the coin with which each of these workers is paid. In the original Greek, and in many translations since, we're told its value. It's a denarius. The version we heard today deliberately translates it in a looser, rather more descriptive way, though. Instead, we are told that it's the usual daily wage. A denarius was what an ordinary person would expect to be paid for a day's work. The living wage, if you like. It was enough to keep a person going for the day. And that's the point the story is making. This landowner isn't interested in creating a hierarchy of worth among its workers. All he wants to make sure is that each has enough for their needs at the end of the day so they can survive until the next day. Those who weren't hired until the end of the day still need to eat. Paying them any less than the living wage would mean that they went hungry and ultimately that's a life or death matter. This landowner's pay policy may seem controversial to us but it's consistent with the message of the rest of the Bible. When the Israelites wandered in the desert after they'd escaped from slavery in Egypt, God fed them with manna, which appeared miraculously each morning. Everyone was told to gather enough for that day, but no more than that. If they did try to gather more, they found that what they'd hoarded was full of worms the next morning, except on the eve of the Sabbath when they could gather twice as much, so they wouldn't have to work on the day of rest. 
Jewish law insisted that farmers shouldn't reap their fields right up to the edges so that the landless poor could glean enough for their needs. It might not have seemed fair to the farmers concerned, but it allowed those without land to survive. It declared them to be of worth to their society, there's that money word again, even though they might have seemed worth less to many. Jesus' parable isn't just about physical survival and material provisions, of course, though it is about those things, and we shouldn't spiritualise them away. But it's also about the time and the energy he expended, there's another financial word, on people who many thought didn't deserve his attention. Gentiles, the poor, women, the sick, the outcast. He treated them as people of value to God, part of God's family called to his work and its rewards. He invested in them more money language because their views, their lives, counted just as much as anyone else's in the divine economy. Even if they seemed like Johnny-come-latelys who didn't know the niceties of religious law or one end of the Bible from the other. Jesus offered everyone the love of God because everyone needed that love. It's the daily bread that keeps our spirits alive. And because God's love is infinite, lavishing it on one person doesn't mean there will ever be any less for anyone else. Knowing that we're infinitely valued, loved with a love that can't run out, sets us free to live the lives God means us to, free from the anxiety that we might be abandoned or forgotten without the support we need to see us through the trials of life. It gives us the security we need, or salvation, if you want to give it its theological name, so that we don't need to grasp or hoard, but can live with generosity to others. God's love isn't rationed, because it doesn't need to be. We don't need to deny it to others, because God can love other people without loving us any less. That's the lesson Jonah struggled to take in as he watched God forgive his enemies, the hated Ninevites, who'd oppressed and enslaved his people. That's why he ran away from his calling at first, only to end up thrown overboard and swallowed by a big fish. Now God has forgiven the Ninevites, he's consumed with anger. It's not fair that they're loved by God, he howls. It takes a rather ridiculous episode with a plant that grows up and shrivels again, to show him his own pettiness. It's not fair, we cry, and no, often life isn't. We don't always get what we deserve, of good or ill. But God's love for us is never less than infinite, and he can afford to be infinitely generous, not only to us but to others too. If we can learn to trust that, we might not need to cling to our status or what we think of as our entitlements. If we can learn to trust that, we might be able to allow others to have and to enjoy what they need too. Food, shelter, a place in the world and the eternal love and security that's God's gift to them. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your infinite love to us, shown us in the self-giving love of Christ. We pray that as we've received from your generosity, we'll give as generously to others, so that all can know the fullness of life to which you've called us. We pray for those who are marginalised in our society, 
for those who are grudgingly welcomed and provided for, if they are at all. Give us the courage to work for justice, so that everyone can know their worth. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Loving Lord, we pray for our nation and our world, faced by so many challenges. Help us not to grasp at wealth and security, but to find ways to share what we have, treating all people as of infinite worth in your eyes. We pray for those who must make complex and difficult decisions in their fight against coronavirus, those who know that whatever they do, they'll be attacked. Show us how to challenge and debate with love and integrity. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Loving Lord, we pray for those in our communities who are returning to work outside the home, for students starting new terms, and all those in the university community who have responsibility to keep them safe. We pray too for those who are locked down once again, or whose businesses have been closed or are restricted again. We pray that all of us might have the self-discipline and restraint we need so that we can protect others. We pray for those who are continuing to shield long term, that they'll know they're not forgotten. Show us how to live together as one community when the needs are so great and widespread but different for each of us. Give us patience, understanding and love for each other. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Loving Lord, we thank you for our families, friends and neighbours. We pray for those who live and work around us. For Seal School, for Sevenoaks Prep School, for village organisations and businesses, for our friends in Lavender Fields Care Home. Draw us together in your love. We pray too for any who are in need or who are on our hearts today, holding them before you in a moment of silence. And we pray for those whose suffering is unseen and unknown to all but you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we thank you that your love is infinite, inexhaustible and eternal. We entrust to you all who have died and gone before us into the joy of heaven. We pray for those who grieve, especially when mourning is complicated or difficult, that they will know that you hold us all in life and in death in your loving hands. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us pray with confidence as our Saviour has taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. 
as we share in the peace, I'd like to invite you to think of someone who you know, maybe a member of our congregation, maybe a member of your family from whom you're separated, or a friend. Someone who you would like to feel that you're united with at this point. Because we're all held together in God's love, even when we're separated physically. We are the body of Christ. In the one spirit we were all baptised into one body. Let us then pursue all that makes for peace and builds up our common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Keep us, good Lord, under the shadow of your mercy in this time of uncertainty and distress. Sustain and support the anxious and fearful and lift up all who are brought low, that we may rejoice in your comfort, knowing that nothing can separate us from your love. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.